All right, so now I'm going to do this. We joked this week that I, I should have a different shirt. And I could like take it off real quick and be a different person for this part of the service. But uh, excited to be able to share God's word with you today. I want to ask you a question to start off with. You don't have to raise your hand, but have any of you ever been fired? Well, I'm, I'm raising my hand because I'm about to tell you a story about a time when I was fired. I've been fired twice in my life. And one of those times, well, they were both in college. Apparently, I hadn't figured myself out yet. Um, but... The, the first one, I, I went to college in Waco at Baylor University, and one of the largest Christian publishing houses in existence at the time, this was the early 90s, so I'm going to date myself a little bit, uh, Word Incorporated was stationed or was, had their home base right there in Waco. And so I thought, what a great way for me as a young ministry student to be involved and, and to have a job that would give me some extra money and help pay my tuition and all that kind of living expenses and things, I'll work for the biggest Christian publishing house in the world, which is right here in Waco. So I went down to Word Incorporated, I applied for a job, and they gave me the job of telemarketer. <laughs> so our job was to call pastors, to call churches, and try to convince them to purchase or at least preview our latest VHS teaching package. Some of you don't even know what a VHS is. <laughs> so it's this giant cassette thing that had movies on them, okay? So they came in these giant folders because there'd be like six to eight of these VHS tapes in there. They cost three, four hundred dollars back in the early 90s. It was a big investment for these churches, okay? So we got this training, we got our script, and each new video series would get a new script so that we would know what to say about how great this was and why it's such an important thing for your church to get and to put in front of your people, and you, you want to buy this, okay? Now, I'm a pretty good salesman for things I like, for things I'm excited about. I'm not a good salesman for things that I feel like might be a little pushy, might be a little extra, might not really have a need for this particular person. Now, if the pastor said, oh, that's exactly what people in our church have been dealing with, man, I was, I was right on it. Okay, well, then this would be great. Let me send it to you. But if they raise an objection, I was pretty quick to go, eh, okay. <laughs> Guess you don't need one. Well, they had a script, and they had a lot of little spots where if they say this, you say this. I know y'all realize that's true because you've been on the phone with telemarketers before. And so if they say this, you say this. It was how to overcome their objections, how to close the deal, right? And I was really bad at it. Unfortunately, they tracked this sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah, so that was kind of bad for me. So they had, a, they had this chart in the room where they showed our monthly, our weekly sales and our monthly sales, and my name just kept going further and further down, especially when we got this one video series that I thought was not the best thing. Um, and so I'm like pushing this thing, and anyway, it didn't go well. So eventually, my name was at the bottom long enough that I had to have the meeting with the manager, and they said, you don't follow the script, you don't overcome objections, you don't close deals, we're gonna have to let you go. This just isn't a fit. And I went to another job that was one of the most mind-numbing things I've ever done in my life. But that's not the story we're talking about right here. So, 
um, I got fired from that job for not following the script. Now, I want to tell you, over the course of my religious experience, I've encountered some evangelism courses in churches that felt a lot like that telemarketing job. Have any of you experienced this? Here's what you say. Here's how you overcome objections. Here's how you close the deal. If they say yes to you, you need to know that you should say this. And if they say that, you got to... And it just felt a little bit um, with this script, complete with what to say, training on how to close the deal and call the person to a decision. It felt like a sales pitch. And it always felt at best impersonal. And at worst, at times it just felt wrong. Right? It it should come out of a, a, a relationship with the person, a genuine sharing of who God is to you. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Derek explained last week, Paul has just laid out the what of the belief it takes to be saved in Romans chapter 10. This is the what. This is what you have to do. This is what you need to believe. Here's how to find salvation. But in today's passage, he continues on, and he continues with the how of people coming to belief. How does this happen? And we're going to see in this passage, there does seem to be a formula So as much as I wish there wasn't, there is. There's a formula. But it's not a sales pitch. And I want you to know, because that's really important. There is a God-orchestrated process. And we're going to explore that together today to see what our part in that process might be. Where do we fit in? Maybe you're on the end that needs to make the decision. Maybe you're one of the ones that needs to, to share and so we're going we're gonna to look at how we fit into this together today from Romans chapter 10. Before we dive in, let's pray together. God, I do thank you for our life experiences and how it can really teach us and, and grow us that you don't waste anything that happens in our lives. And so, God, I, I thank you, even though that was a, a hard thing in my life to be fired from that job, it really has helped me to understand this concept from a different perspective today. So, I thank you for that. I pray that you would open our minds and open our hearts to what you want to say to us in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in Romans 10, and we're going to start with the verse that Derek left off with last week, verse 13, and we're going to go through 17. So Romans 10, 13 through 17, and it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there they are. There's the steps to salvation. The process of faith and salvation is laid out here by Paul like nowhere else. And these steps apply to everyone because this whole chapter, this whole section, he's telling us there's no distinction. He's talking about why all the Jews have not necessarily gotten saved and some Gentiles have. And this was a confusing time in the early church. He's saying there's no distinction. This is how it works now for everybody because of how, what Jesus has done. And as we look at these steps today, the question that demands to be answered is, what is my part in God's saving plan? What does God want to do in and through me 
to be part of the saving plan for my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, even nations and people groups in other parts of the world that are without the gospel. And we see these five steps in verses 14 and 15, and Paul kind of puts them in reverse order, which is interesting. I want to flip them around real quick and see them chronologically for a second. So first, someone is sent. Right? First thing that happens, someone is sent. Second, the person that is sent preaches the good news of Jesus. Then, third, the good news is heard. Then the person or persons that are hearing the good news believe in the truth of what they're hearing. And finally, that belief leads them to call on the name of the Lord in faith for salvation. So we have these five steps, sending, preaching, hearing, believing, and calling. We'll leave that up there for a second for you. Sending, preaching, hearing, believing, and then calling. That's the process. Those are the steps that God uses to draw someone to salvation. And an important observation right off the bat is this process is all about God. It begins and it ends with God. None of it is about our performance. It's all about God being allowed to work in and through us. He uses us, which is really cool and kind of scary. But it's all about what he is going to do in the life of that person when we are faithful to share. So let's look at these each in more detail to try and figure out what our part in that process might be. And we're going to look at them in the original order that Paul gives them to us. So we're going to start with calling. First of all, calling on the Lord. Again, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This last step in the process is really interesting because it looks like Paul is making a distinction between belief and calling. That's because he is. There's a distinction between just believing something and actually calling on the name of the Lord. This is basically Derek's sermon from last Sunday. So if you weren't here, you didn't hear it, you can watch it online or you can listen to the podcast. But he does a great job of, of explaining that to us. It's not, not just enough to believe intellectually the facts of who Jesus is and what he's done. True faith is believing, yes, but it's also placing your trust in that belief. True faith is believing and placing your trust in that belief. Because when we understand the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done, it leads to us calling out to him in repentance. It leads to a response. When we really get it, it leads to this thing that Paul talks about in verse 13. If we truly believe, we will act. We will surrender to him as Lord, Savior, and master of our lives. Now, again, a, a quick reminder. Paul is addressing the reason that the Jews have not experienced salvation, some of them. Right? They have lots of knowledge. They have all the knowledge. But they have not acknowledged Jesus as Messiah and therefore have not called out to him for salvation. So we really can't go forward without you just stopping for a second and asking yourself the question, what about me? You know, what about you? Are you stuck in this idea of intellectual religion, this rut of just believing some facts? Because knowledge, even correct knowledge, does not equal saving faith. It's an important part of it, for sure. But the last step is calling on the name of the Lord. 
Faith is knowledge that leads to action, to surrender. So have you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus and called on him for salvation? That's that last step that Paul's talking about. And the promise of verse 13 is, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, secondly, he says the calling comes out of belief. So I've spent a lot of time talking about how they're different, but they're related and they're both important. The calling comes out of belief. It says in verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? The implication here is that believing the right thing is important. It's a prerequisite. Having the correct facts of what you're putting your faith in is important. You aren't going to call out if you don't believe. And until you believe Jesus is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do, you aren't going to call out to him for salvation. Okay, so the right belief is important. Understanding the truth of what Jesus has done and and who he is is important. So based on this first point, this calling that I talked about, you could get the idea that believing the facts of the gospel are secondary, but it's absolutely untrue. Saving faith believes the correct facts about Jesus. And I just want to reiterate what those were from last week uh, that Derek shared with us. First of all, you can't be right with God on your own. If it's up to you, it's too bad. There has to be an intervention from someone else because there's two ways to be saved, right? You can be perfect or you can put your faith and trust in Jesus. And we know that none of us are perfect because of our sin. So you can't be right with God on your own. Secondly, Jesus is fully God and fully man. He came on earth to be one of us, but he was still uh, God in flesh to show us who God was, what he was like, what he expects of us. And he bodily rose from the dead and therefore has power over sin and death. So you can't do it on your own. Jesus is God and he became one of us, and he rose from the dead, and therefore has power over sin and death. When you put things in this process, in this order, Paul is affirming that believing the truth of the gospel is part of salvation, but it's also more than that. It's also the calling on him in faith. Look uh, just right up above at Romans 10, 9, and 10. It'll also be on the screen. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, I've spent a lot of time on this, and I want, you, I want to tell you this is very personal for me. Um, and I've warned some people that I'm not going to be able to get through this part of the service probably without falling apart a little bit. But, um, and y'all are used to that because I do it every time. But uh, for me, my story of salvation really explains these two points, uh, I think, pretty well, because I grew up in the church. My dad worked at the church, and so we were there all the time, and I knew the answers. I had the knowledge, and at age five, I knew that if I went forward in my Baptist church and told the preacher that I wanted to accept Jesus, and I answered the questions correctly, that he would tell everyone at the end of the service And everyone would get excited. They'd form a line and shake my hand and congratulate me and be really happy. And so I did that at age five. I said, I want to accept Jesus. I knew the facts, but I wasn't really calling on the name of the Lord for salvation. And so it was a real struggle for me from that point forward. I sort of felt like an imposter a little bit. 
And I felt like I had to play a, a game at church to pretend to be put together. In the meantime, I was a typical PK causing havoc behind the scenes. and not, uh, I was pretty good at not getting caught. And so um, these weird things would happen at church and no one knew why. And I would just sit there and chuckle because that was me causing havoc. Uh, and then at age 14, during the summer between uh, my 7th and 8th grade year, they sent me to, to youth camp. Well, I was determined. I built walls all around myself. I was determined that this youth camp thing was not going to have an effect on me because I kind of liked how things were going even though I had this inner turmoil. I liked being in control and, and having kind of a separate life, a church life, and then the rest of my life. And so I, uh, I was determined not to let anything get to me I didn't really pay attention. I caused a lot of distraction. And there's kind of this famous night at youth camp, which is the very last night, the Thursday night, where everybody cries on each other's shoulder and they have this big emotional response. And I just really thought that was dumb and because then all those people went back and they were exactly the same. And so what was the point of that? And so I wasn't going to let that be part of my story. I wasn't going to have this, this Thursday night worship experience. So you know what I did? I convinced a friend to skip the service with me and we were going to break dance back in the dorm. <laughs> yeah, I was a break dancer, I know. Uh, again, dating myself a little bit. I had brought the cardboard so that we could put it down on the floor and do all the cool spins and things. And uh, it's probably why my back always hurts at the end of the worship service <laughs> from holding the guitar. So we're back in the dorm, break dancing, doing our thing, seeing who can spin for longer. And the youth pastor, of course, notices we're not there and comes and catches us in the dorm and makes us go to the service. Well, that still didn't work. I didn't care. I was a distraction. I sang off-key as loud as I could on purpose. Uh, I didn't listen to the preacher. I couldn't tell you one thing he said. I couldn't tell you anything about him. So we got to the end of the service, and I was successful. I was like, yes, nothing happened. I'm free, I'm clear, I can, I can go with, on with my life exactly like it's been. But then they had a testimony time. And I share this in Discovery because one of the things we talk about is the power of your testimony, the power of your story. And one of my friends, this is where I'm going to fall apart, and maybe I'm going to keep it from happening by telling you it's going to happen. Uh, one of my friends, uh, he got up to share, and his testimony was... You know, I came to camp this week thinking I wasn't going to let anything get to me. I didn't want God to be able to touch me, to change me in any way. But I've been playing a game for a long time. And this week, I surrendered to, I surrendered to Jesus as my Savior and Lord for the first time. For real. And I know there's someone out there exactly like me. Yeah, you ever had one of those moments? It's like, yeah, as, as, as strong as my walls were, there was nothing that was going to hold uh, that message back from piercing my heart. Because my friend, who I did a lot of these things with, had just said, I've been playing a game, but now it's real for me. I surrender to Jesus as my Savior. So I realized I needed to do that, that I had acknowledged some facts at age five, but I had never really given Jesus my life. And so I went and found one of the counselors, and this will show you kind of my reputation. Uh, this is just a funny side note, but I said, hey, Susie, I believe I really need to, to give my life to Jesus. And she said, Paul, would you just leave me alone? I don't have time for you right now. <laughs> yeah. 
That was my reputation. Pretty good, huh? So anyway, I convinced her that I really meant it, and she helped me with that uh, in that moment. And from that point forward, Jesus was my Lord and Master and Savior, and it was different. And my life was different. And what I wanted changed, and what I did changed. I still struggled with some things, obviously. Um, but the, the trajectory of my life from that point forward, after surrendering completely to him as Savior, was completely different. So at age five, I acknowledged facts. But at age 14, I called on him for salvation and surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. So believing the truth is not the final step. It's an important one. Calling on Jesus in faith is... Believing the truth is not the final step. Calling on, faith, on Jesus in faith is. So back to verse 14. Paul asks, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Well, you just think about that from a logical perspective. We don't have to spend a lot of time here. Before someone can believe something, they have to hear it. Right? They have to be exposed to it. Before they can believe it, they have to hear it. And continuing, Paul says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? So we see that God entrusts the message of salvation to his messengers, to his people, to his children, to us, to the followers of Jesus. God entrusts the message of salvation to his messengers. Now, the word preaching here can really be easily misunderstood because we've given that word a very formal definition, haven't we? We've given the word preaching a very formal definition. It's not referencing what I'm doing right now. It's not referencing this formal giving of a sermon in a service. It's talking about expressing the truths of the gospel verbally. The word preaching literally means to proclaim. So he's saying, how can they hear unless someone proclaims, unless someone tells them, unless someone shares? The truth of who Jesus is and what he has done is meant to be heard. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be talked about. Preaching is not meant to be limited to a certain special thing that happens in a, in a service, therefore somehow exclude the majority of the followers of Jesus. You know, you might read this verse and go, Whew, well, at least that doesn't include me. I'm not a preacher. That's not how this works. You know, there's a popular uh, Christian slogan. Uh, Derek likes to bring it up a, a lot. Um, and that is, always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. And Derek doesn't like it, and neither do I, because it just doesn't cut it. It's a, it's a nice sentiment. It's important that your words match your life, for sure. But it's still important to use words. God has chosen for his truth to be shared in a way that it can be heard and believed, leading people to call on him in saving faith. Our love for others paves the way for this truth to be received. The relationship, the way we live, the way we care, uh, the way we uh, care for one another, it paves the way for that truth to be received, but that truth must be proclaimed. It must be preached. So the final question is then who shares the message? Who does God entrust the message to? Who are the messengers? And Paul says in verse 15, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Well, again, you might think, Ooh, all right, I'm not sent. The ones that preach are the ones that are sent. How do you know if you're sent? Well, I want to get us a handle on this question a little bit by looking at a couple of things that Jesus said to his disciples. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, 
He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You might have heard that one before. It's called the Great Commission. And then Acts 1.8, which was the theme verse for our Acts series not too long ago. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let me take the mystery out of it real quick and say that the short answer is we are all sent. We are all sent. We're included in those verses. We're called to be his witnesses as we are going through life. As we are living in in the place that God has placed us, we're called to share the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done through the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us as his followers. So Jesus, in the midst of a really long prayer, it's an amazing thing in John 17. He's praying the night before his betrayal, his arrest. Uh, Look at that at some point. It's, It's really great that we have that recorded. But in verse 18, as he's saying this prayer, he says, As you sent me into the world... Speaking to God, so I have sent them into the world. As you've sent me, I've sent them. Jesus, his time is almost up. He's relating what he's done to God the Father, fulfilling his mission on earth. And he's passing on that sending to his followers. He's saying, you sent me, I did the thing you sent me for, and now I send them just like you sent me. So... In light of those two verses, if we're all sent, the next question is, where are you sent? Where are you sent to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is? And Acts 1.8 gives us kind of a geographic framework of information to, to, to kind of outline this idea. It says, we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, Jerusalem was the immediate context, right? It was the city they lived in. It was, it was what they knew uh, the most. It's like our wall out there. It's where you live, work, and play. It's the immediate places that God has placed you. Um, that's your Jerusalem. It's not to be excluded. It's not just something that's far off. God has you where you are for a reason. He has the people that work next to you there for a reason. He has your neighbors next to you for a reason. God desires for you to be his messenger wherever he's placed you. Next it says in Judea, which is a little bit of a wider context, a larger geographic area. Some are sent to share to a region or to use the influence that God gives them to infuse the truth of the gospel across a a larger area or a larger group of people. A good example of this might be churches working together to see the message of Jesus shared in their city. Or a church planting organization that assesses and helps support church planting in a certain area or in a certain state. So Judea, it's just, it's just a bit of a wider context. Then it talks about Samaria. Now this is really different. It was geographically close, but separate culturally. So they were close together, but they lived kind of different lives. They didn't, they didn't cross over. With one another. This signifies crossing cultural and prejudicial barriers to share the message of Jesus. I think a good way to think about it is to understand God's desire that the gospel should be shared with those that our society, our culture, would consider outcast 
or unlovable or broken beyond repair. Those that we just don't want to deal with because it's too hard. God says, no, you're going to share the gospel in Samaria. The gospel should be heard in all of those kind of situations. God calls his people to enter into the dark corners of the world with his light. We are to be his light in those places. And finally, to the end of the earth. You know, some are called to leave their context and not only cross cultural barriers, but to physically go to another part of the world to people groups that have no access to the gospel. Some people are called to do that. You might be called to do that. These are what we would typically call missionaries, right? Did you know that one-third of the world's population are people groups that have never heard the name of Jesus? We tend to think, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty spread out now. Most everybody's at least heard about it. That's not true. One-third of the world's population has no access to the truth of who Jesus is. They've never heard it. It's never been presented to them. And we know that God desires all nations to be saved. In 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, it says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We know that salvation involves hearing the truth of the gospel. And Paul tells us in our passage today, they can't hear unless someone shares that is sent by God. Someone sitting in this room today or listening online or watching this video later might be sent to take the gospel to another part of the world. One of our values is uh, sending capacity, not seeding capacity. Sending capacity, not seeding capacity. You'll hear Derek say it all the time. We're not interested in just being a big church. We're interested in seeing God move through the church and having uh, churches in various areas where people can better connect and more easily hear the truth of the gospel. We believe as a church we have to be focused outward in order to fulfill the Great Commission. There has to be an out component to who we are and what we're doing, or we're not truly the church that God's called us to be. This is not an institution for membership. It's a sending agency for mission. Common ground is not the end. It's not the destination. It's the means to an end. And that is the expansion of the kingdom of God as his people live out who he's called them to be wherever he's placed you. Most of what we talk about in here is supposed to happen out there, right? You may have noticed we've got several families missing today. You may wonder why I led worship and now I'm also teaching. It's because Derek's family, along with several others, are worshiping together today at the Ironwood Theater in Minden. They're watching us right now. They're worshiping together at the Ironwood Theater in Minden. We're experimenting with the idea of planting a campus that would develop into a church so that we could better fulfill this value, so that people could, could more easily invite those around them to, to experience the truth of the gospel. With people that drive from really far away, this would at least be halfway, right, in an area where um, maybe God wants to put a different kind of church like he did here in Carson. So... They're there doing that today. We would ask you to pray for clear direction about that. It's an experiment. And as you know around here, we'll try things. And if it fails, it just means, okay, well, what can we learn from that? And uh, what maybe God wants us to do next. But as we take each step, we just want to be faithful to what that looks like. So you'll, you'll be hearing more about that uh, in the weeks to come. 
But regardless of where you are sent, the truth is we are all sent. The question is where? And the question is, will you be obedient? Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, is quoted as saying, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. That's pretty harsh. That's why I put it up there with his name on it. I didn't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Because the word missionary is this formal title that we use describing a specialized role that it doesn't apply to everyone. It applies to some, the way we use it. But not everyone. We kind of think, again, we're off the hook. And there is a special vocational calling to be a missionary as someone that goes to another people group and seeks to share the gospel and establish a church so that the gospel can be heard in that community where it's never been heard before. There is that role. But we are all called to proclaim. We are all sent to share. So what part do you play in this formula of evangelism that Paul gives us? Ultimately, it comes down to obedience. If we're all sent, we're all called to share the truth of the gospel so that others can hear it and believe and call out in faith to God for salvation. What some of you may be called to do might look different than what I'm called to do, but we are all sent and we all have a part to play in this mission. And Paul sums it up in verse 17 where he says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now this is comforting to me. Hearing through the word of Christ, not the script of Paul not of overcoming objections, not of closing the deal. It's the word of Christ. It's what God does in them. It's the truth of who Jesus is. Um, Our calling is to faithfully share. It's not a sales pitch. You aren't there to close the deal. God does the saving. We do the sharing. We only fail when we refuse to share. We only fail when we refuse to share. Our vision statement says we are fueling a movement of God's people, surrendered to his mission, wherever he places us. So are you called? Yes. Where are you called? Wherever God places you. Could he be calling you somewhere else? Absolutely. Could that include another country or another people group? Absolutely. It says in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Everything we do, he calls on us to be faithful. Here's the summary again. To be saved, people have to call on Christ. To call, they have to believe in the truth of Jesus. To believe, they have to hear the word of Christ. To hear, they have to have someone share the message And to proclaim with the power of the Spirit, we are sent. We are his messengers. So what's your part in that formula? Well, Maybe you're still working through whether or not you even believe this whole God and Jesus thing. Maybe you came in today and you said, God, I'll give you one chance. If something doesn't happen today, that's it. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you walked in with. But today you've heard the truth. You've heard the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. The question is, will you call on him for salvation? Will you believe it and call on him? Maybe you've believed the facts. Maybe you're okay with this whole Jesus thing and what he did, but you've never really called on his name for salvation. Maybe you're like me and you're kind of in that in-between, that you've acknowledged the truth, but you've never surrendered to him as Lord and Savior. Belief doesn't turn into faith until it leads to action, until it leads to obedience So is today the day that you call on the name of the Lord?
Maybe you assume the job of sharing is up to the professionals, like the preachers and the missionaries. But the Great Commission includes all followers of Jesus, wherever you are. Again, we only fail when we refuse to share. You know, sometimes we wonder why our community doesn't change, why our neighborhood doesn't change, why those around us don't find salvation. And here comes the hard question. Have you shared the truth of the gospel with those around you? Have you shared the truth with those that you appear to be burdened about when you make those kind of statements? We're all sent. The question is, where has God sent you and will you be obedient to him? Because again, as Paul puts it in Romans 10, 14, and 15, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent. Maybe you're like me and you don't like to follow scripts or formulas, but God's process for evangelism is different. It's not a sales pitch. It begins and ends with him, and he does the saving. Our role is to faithfully share the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done wherever he places you. So where has he placed you? Where is he sending you? Will you say yes? Let's pray together. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done. I thank you for how Paul lays out this process that you've put into place. And it's all about you. It's all about what you're going to do in people's lives. But you choose to use us. You work through us, not around us. And we're just so thankful for the part we are allowed to play. But God, I pray that we would be found faithful, that we would be obedient. And God, if there's people in this room today that need to say yes to you, that need to believe and call on you for salvation, I pray that today would be the day that they would take that next step. And God, I pray that, uh, that you would put on our heart the desire to share that truth, that we would be thinking about those around us that we know need to, to, to know you, that need to experience you in, in the way that we have. God, I pray no one would leave today without saying yes to whatever you're putting on their heart. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.